Nummer eins, Number One, top right, second, uh, second year, zweiter Jahrgang. Uh, we'll explain why it's the second year in a second, because uh, you're thinking of Number One, Year One. Um, and then the subtitle, Zeitschrift für die Interessen der Arbeiterinnen, the uh, magazine for the interests of female workers, um, edited by Emma Ira in Welten, Mark. Um, formerly, she was kind of the producer of the, of the, of the newspaper, but it was the, the editorial work was done not in Welten, Mark, but in Stuttgart by a woman you're probably familiar with by the name of Clara Zetkin, uh, brackets Eisner was her original name uh, before she got married. Um, and it says she appears every every two weeks. So it was it was what the Germans called a, a half monthly, a bi monthly, uh, ten pfennigs uh, an edition. Which, uh, considering the the costs of other uh, um, items of living, etc., back then is actually extremely cheap. Uh, but we'll look at some of the finances, etc., behind it in in a second. Um, and yes, this was the the uh, uh, as you can see Monday, the eleventh of January, eighteen ninety two. Um, the if we, why is it not moving forward? There we go, now it's back to click. Um, so some, some background information uh, uh, about the, 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 the publication, um, Equality, the uh, magazine for the interest of female uh, uh, workers. The, it did have uh, two forerunners. So this explains that the, the second year or the year two uh, uh, phenomenon that we just saw with the, the first edition, um, because the a year before this, there was a, um, a, a magazine, it was weekly magazine, um, edited by Emma Ira called Die Arbeiterin, the female worker. Um, but it ran into a lot of problems uh, financially and was wound up. But this uh, magazine, Die Gleichheit, was set up very much consciously as the successor of that, which is why you have, you know, the first year was the Arbeiterin, the second year then uh, was, uh, was Die Gleichheit. And before that, Die Staatsbürgerin, the female citizen, um, but that was banned uh, uh, by census in 1886, uh, 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 as you probably recall. Um, the German anti-socialist laws were enforced from 1878 to uh, 1890, and it was very tricky to uh, uh, set up any kind of uh, public activity, and the female citizen fell uh, fell short to that. So it's been something that um, the, the a, a, a distinctly openly uh, a, a Marxist magazine aimed at women and female workers was something that the, the German socialist movement had attempted uh, on a number of occasions, but really with Die Gleichheit, uh, we see uh, for a number of uh, reasons, the uh, the re first real success uh, in, in that field. And there are a number of factors behind it. Uh, you may have heard of Johann Heinrich Dietz, uh, a wealthy publisher. He was influential in the in stepping in, following the problems with the Arbeiterin, running the magazine, um, and providing funds to, uh, to, to set up uh, the new publication. It's a, a little bit disputed in, in the research as to why exactly um, he he didn't want uh, uh, um, Emma Ira, the former editor, uh, to be the main uh, uh, um, person behind it, uh, behind the new magazine. Um, and there's discussions about why exactly uh, Zedkin was chosen. Um, but the there were a number of factors that worked out in Zedkin's favor. Uh, the new publication was to be based in Stuttgart, Stuttgart, in one of the more liberal, if you liberal very much in inverted commas, states in, in the Kaiserreich Germany at the time, uh, where, for example, Karl Kautsky was based. Karl Kautsky was a foreigner and in, couldn't actually be uh, active politically in many state German states, but he could be in Baden. Uh, and um, 
sorry, in, 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 in Württemberg, in Stuttgart. And uh, that's why the, the, the publishing, uh, the, all the editorial stuff and basis was, was in that state. And Setkin had just come back from a long period of exile in France uh, and decided to move uh, uh, to Stuttgart with her two boys. So that, again, that lent itself to her uh, being the editor as well. She knew Dietz from various uh, um, jobs, translation works, articles she'd written, and obviously was very close with Kautsky as well, who was running uh, Die Neue Zeit uh, out of uh, the weekly theoretical magazine out of Stuttgart. So kind of all these things came together and Setkin was chosen as the editor. She was initially quite reluctant because she felt that um, she didn't have the technical know-how to do it, etc. And she didn't really didn't have any experience with uh, publications apart from submitting articles to deny its site, et cetera, from, from France. Uh, but you know, that, they kind of spoke it through with her and they said, come on, we can, we can definitely do this. And yes, indeed, in, in 1892, um, that was the, uh, the, the first edition. It comes again against the backdrop of the party entering into the legality again, following the fall of the anti-socialist laws. The Erfurt program explicitly, uh, uh, Marxist form, uh, program found it, uh, agreed upon in, in Erfurt in 1891, uh, in, in the autumn of 1891, with uh, an explicit call uh, for the, you know, the emancipation of all without distinction of sex, etc. So uh, that was very much a, the, 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 the idea was that, okay, the party is now legal, we're starting to establish our, uh, our printing press again, our propaganda and agitational work. Um, and so uh, we really need to, we really need a, a women's magazine. Um, Die Gleichheit has been seen as Dietz's problem child, uh, problem child in the sense that it didn't make any money. Uh, it wasn't in positive figures until I think about 1904, we'll look at that in a second, um, but it was very much close to his heart and he really enjoyed uh, working with Setkin. Um, and the other thing, you, while numbers, we'll look at the circulation figures in a bit, but while numbers were um, were quite low at first, you also have to uh, take into consideration that at the time, you know, it was um, with organising women was sometimes quite difficult, again, because there are laws, while social democracy is, 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 uh, is now legal, it's actually in some many states, uh, not, not in Stuttgart, but in many states, it's uh, actually illegal for women to join political organisations at all. So sometimes it would be the case of the, the magazine kind of being passed around through, through several hands, uh, uh, etc. So it's sometimes tricky to pin down the official circulation figures, even though each party congress would produce these figures uh, and budgets, etc., for the public publication. Um, you see on the, the picture here, Davara Jakob uh, was Dietz's, uh, I suppose you'd call it meme publication, uh, a satirical magazine that was enormously successful, made a lot of money and um, incredibly wide audience, widely read, et cetera. And that essentially provided a lot of the excess funds uh, to, to allow for uh, um, publications like Die Neue Zeit, uh, Kautsky's Die Neue Zeit and Zetkin's uh, Die Gleichheit to, uh, um, yeah, to, to bring in bad numbers for a few years at the start uh, before they started to grow. Uh, in 1901, the uh, the magazine became official party property. The Forbes Publishing House, which I think was consisted of three um, administrators or three heads, and it was Babel, Zinger, and someone else. Uh, and basically, that it, in 1901, it becomes official party property under the the Forbes Publishing House, along with the United States. Um, and just quickly on the title of this is kind of a German women's magazine of this talk. 
1907 becomes the official publication of the international women's movement. So it's probably best to describe it, I suppose, as a, a German language women's publication, I suppose, because it did, as we'll see, have such an enormous uh, influence internationally at, at the time within the, the within the, the the German movement within the Second International, more broadly, particularly in places such as Russia, um, where it was widely read. Um, the I suppose what I think is is important about this magazine, and indeed in a, in a narrower sense about my project, is that. Um, the magazine is not merely a reflection of some of the most important twists and turns and developments within the women's movement, the social democratic women's movement, within social democracy as a whole, within the party and within uh, uh, the, the nation and, and indeed within uh, within the world, um, kind of moving outwards. Um, but also it's one of the, as some of you may know, it's one of the perhaps most important publications and mouthpieces of uh, the left and radical wing, I put it in inverted commas because it's slightly complicated, but uh, the radical wing of, uh, uh, of, of, of international social democracy under the influences of Zetkin. So it's not just, uh, uh, you know, kind of holding a mirror up to these, uh, to these events and what's happening in this, these tumultuous uh, times between, uh, you know, 1892 uh, and 1917, uh, but is also uh, through Zetkin's influence, uh, an attempt to shift uh, discussion in the party and beyond. It also shouldn't really be seen as a as a, a, a women's publication in in the in the tra traditional sense is maybe the wrong way of putting it, but in the kind of uh, um, widely underspread sense of the term, die Gleichheit uh, is about equality, not just between men and women, but uh, uh, but uh, for society as 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 a whole, um, and. As soon as you then raise the question of what is a women's publication, what are women's issues, etc., then we get into the question that really uh, um, surrounds or, or shrouds this uh, this publication and, and its reception and controversy between Marxism and feminism, exactly, etc. Um, you know, about what was the nature of this of this magazine. But for Zetkin, certainly uh, the the emphasis was on. Uh, organizing, so it was an agitational and theoretical uh, um, journal aimed at women with the intention of drawing them into the workers' movement, into the party, and uh, uh, allowing them to become uh, leading activists within that party, with men, with women and, uh, and men working alongside each other uh, to uh, overthrow capitalism. That was the, uh, the, 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 the the guiding idea. So it wasn't just about, uh, it, in that sense, uh, solely uh, so-called women's issues, but bringing, uh, speaking to women and bringing them into the in, into the, the the family, if you like, of social democracy. Um, did all sorts of things. Uh, one little example I quite like. Um, it did kind of go into the details of you know the the, the horrible situation of, of women workers at the time. Uh, the terrible wages they received, the sexism they experienced, the conditions, the, the huge strange on the on their time with family duties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and it would name names. So I have here in brackets Robert Bosch. Bosch. I don't know if you what uh, have um, today, for example, dishwashers or um, washing machines with Bosch on them. Uh, but Robert Bosch was the leading guy, actually from Stuttgart. It was a very close friend of Claude Zetkin's, uh, and he was known for uh, uh, treating his workers relatively well. But when he didn't, 
and then particularly with his female workers uh, she would have no phones about uh, naming, naming him by his name in the uh, in the, the magazine um, it would also have an organizational focus so it would look to again especially in the early period in times of semi-legality if you like when it came to organizing women there would be uh, um, lists of meetings and people to contact and things going on um, across Germany. So that was one a key thing of it. But I think fundamentally as well, if you look at what Setkin's aims were with that magazine, it was very much in the mold of um, Kautsky's Die Neue Zeit with a, with a focus on, uh, on women and women workers. So it, Setkin, you know, when, once uh, asked, was once asked, you know, uh, there were complaints, for example, about it being quite difficult to read, particularly, again, you look at the context of 1890s Germany, uh, a lot of women couldn't read or had only just learned to read, for example, uh, given the state of the school system, etc. Um, but she was saying, no, this magazine is about, yes, describing the situation in capitalism, yes, organising women in the movement, but also, uh, and, and fundamentally, it's a question of theoretical education and uh, enlightenment and training. Uh, and I think that in that sense, uh, you know, it, it did kind of fashion itself to a certain extent, uh, according to the successful or the main theoretical uh, uh, weekly in Germany at the time, which was uh, Karl Kautsky's The United Side. Um, some figures you uh, may or may not be aware of, Setkin, obviously, uh, we will talk about in, in uh, a lot more detail. Uh, Karen Honeycutt, who wrote a PhD and I think published it as a book in the 70s, a biography of Setkin, uh, described Die Gleichheit as a one-woman show. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Keita Dunker, who was a, uh, uh, together with her husband Hermann Dunker, they were kind of lifelong uh, members of the radical wing of social democracy, later uh, KPD. Uh, uh, she wrote an untranslated book in 1914 called Socialist Education at Home, and as we will see, one of the uh, main thematic focuses of Die Gleichheit was the, the question of socialist pedagogy uh, uh, and, and the, the raising of children, which is fascinating and it's only something I'm just starting to scratch the surface of. Uh, Emma Ira, we talked about her um, long-standing figure of the uh, German uh, women's movement and workers' movement. Um, she was removed from the editorial board. I, I say her, her role, as you saw from the first from the first slide, it was you know the, produced by Emma Ira in Felten. Um, she was removed eventually in 1901, uh, following differences uh, over questions of revisionism, etc., which we'll talk about in, in a bit. Uh, Maria Juhach, who is the uh, is, is pictured there in your on the top right of your screens. Um, she was a majority SPD activist, so came out of the SPD, uh, um, the kind of pro-war wing of it, uh, who replaced Clara Setkin as editor in 1917 and developed what's in the literature is known as the New Gleichheit. Uh, we'll talk briefly about that, the fate of that magazine. Heinrich Schulz, an incredibly important figure, um, kind of like the nemesis of Setkin in, in a way, somebody who worked closely with her again on the question of uh, SPD's ed education, pedagogy, approach to school, not just to education at home, but also the school system, etc. And at a very famous, uh, famous Mannheim, was it Mannheim? Very famous Congress in 1908. Uh, he and Clara Zetkin uh, both gave long speeches introducing the, uh, the kind of guidelines for educational policy, the SPD. 
he later became uh, a social chauvinist and um, the state secretary for education in the early Weimar Republic and was responsible for uh, the school bill there. We'll return to that question later on, but he's a, he's a significant figure. He also wrote a lot for Die Gleichheit. So again, it wasn't just uh, um, aimed at women. It was also, uh, it wasn't just women writers, also men uh, wrote for it. Luxembourg, who again, generally dismissed as somebody not interested in the women's question, broadly speaking, uh, but she wrote on uh, 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 a number of occasions uh, through, through, throughout the history of Die Gleichheit when Setkin was the editor, very close with Setkin. Um, and what's interesting about the, the relationship with Luxembourg and Setkin, for example, is that if you look at J.P. Nettle's book on Luxembourg, uh, he makes two points about Setkin, kind of snide points. One is that she was so-called intellectually lesser than Luxembourg, perhaps. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and then he says about Setkin, she, she concerned herself with women's issues, right? And that was her, her legacy. Uh, and you know, looking at the, some of the stuff, the, the the recent upturn in interest in Setkin, for example, both of those statements are, are certainly can be questioned. Um, but anyway, before we go on, let's have a brief look at the of the figures. We're not going to go into the into the huge details of it, um, but you can see the gradual growth um, from the, the the first figures we have it from 1902. And again, it should be stressed that these are taken you know with, with all the warts and all as it were in terms of accounting for how many were sold and, and, and distributed but it was kind of a um a ritual uh, a yearly annual ritual the spd congresses that not only would you get the full financial report for the party as a whole <coughs> but you would get the circulation figures for all of the uh four vets to the party publications published under the the, the four vets uh, publishing house which I mentioned before, Die Neue Zeit, uh, Die Gleichheit, and uh, Devara Jakob. Um, and that would be a kind of standard thing. And then there would be questions about the situation, et cetera. Um, the, the dates that are worth looking out for, say 1904 is the first time that public, publication is in the black. So it's, it's actually starting to make some money. 1905, there's a huge, there's a double, it kind of doubles there between 1904, 1905, 1905, 1906 doubles again. Um, and that's a significant year in the, uh, in, in the history of the publication, as we'll see, because we have the introduction of the two uh, uh, supplements into the, uh, uh, into the, the magazine, which changes or modifies somewhat the nature of, of the magazine, I would argue. And then you know, broadly speaking, there's this pretty constant growth is a bit of a wobble uh, in, in towards the end of uh, the, the 1900s. Um, and you can see as the party continues to grow, uh, so does the uh, Die Gleichheit. And that would obviously, would, these circulation figures would also entail um, uh, what we've got mandatory subscriptions, I suppose. So from various party organizations, union organizations, et cetera, et cetera. But those were the figures that they, they, they worked with. Um, What's interesting as well, if you from the from the taking a step back from the standpoint of SPD politics more generally, is that in 1914 these these annual reports stop completely. So it seems to be part of kind of a, a precondition of the the Burgfrieden, the port, the fortress priest, the fortress peace that the party concludes uh, uh, with the German government, um, the, the war government that um, the, these reports stop. Um, and the other thing worth noting about 1914 is that uh, precisely because uh, Ted King uses Die Gleichheit uh, as, a, as a 
as a factional magazine indeed always had done in 1914 she really steps up the struggle against the pro-war policies of the, the majority of the spd and the leadership at the time and there's an active uh, boycott of the publication in 1914. um i don't know where the figures come from but with the basically the stuff i've read is that this this subscription cancellation campaign by the party leadership uh sees it the circulation fall by about half uh, within within a year or two so that's uh, worth uh, noting as well in terms of the fate of the Gleichheit over the years. Um, we talked about the, the, the one woman show. Basically, certainly in the early days, Seth Keen would write uh, pretty much everything. Um, and uh, you know that reflected the, the, the early days of, of the magazine, but as it, as it grows and the editorial apparatus uh, solidifies, it draws in more and more people. And there's obviously people sending reports, not just from other parts of Germany, but but internationally, as we'll see. And the I'm starting to one of the things I'm doing for my project is I'm starting to uh, categorize in one big database uh, each edition. So all of the the contents of each edition, scan in each edition, uh, for, you know, for future uh, um, archives, you know, more more accessible archives for translation, etc. And it's always worth having a quick look each each edition will have the editorial uh you have the little title and you can see all of the the issues that setkin is really trying to push at that time uh and they're they're usually say relatively high level theoretically um which causes some controversy um but but always really good good reads and you can you can see it as i say you can follow the developments, the more broader developments at the time by looking at Ted King's editorials and what she's trying to raise. She was criticized for never signing uh, the editorials, um, and but she defended that saying, well, you know, what's the, what's the problem? The other issue, of course, is that some article, when it comes to signing articles, is that uh, if somebody's based in Prussia, for example, that could be potentially at least cause for uh, arrest. So that was the other thing with, with signing articles. But some articles were indeed signed. There were some pseudonyms. Uh, but some would sign with their own name. Setkin intended not to do that as the editor. Um, she, in, you know, in terms of the politics of, 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 of the publication, one of the things that the Die Gleichheit, particularly in the early days, was known for was kind of biting polemics with the broader Frauenrechtlerinnen uh, uh, or the Frauenrechtlerei, as she calls it, so the, the kind of women's rightists, the bourgeois women's movement of the time. And it's interesting because uh, Tedkin herself uh, had a, 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 an interesting background. Her father was a, a, a kind of Lutheran uh, um, teacher, which partly accounts for a lifelong uh, interest in pedagogy and teaching. She trained as a teacher as well. And she was taught by uh, um, uh, an incredibly influential uh, member of the bourgeois women's movement. Uh, um, and uh, so she, she was very influenced by, by her teacher, Alga Schmidt. But as a, as a youngster, then she started to break with a lot of the teachings of, uh, of Schmidt and others, much to the concern of Schmidt and her mother. Her mother was also uh, an, a significant member of the, uh, of the bourgeois women's movement. Um, was Clara Zetkin love Maria Juhach? We talked about her earlier on the replacement of uh, Zetkin in, in 1917. Um, the, the, the centrality of Setkin to the Gleichheit has also found reflection in the uh, the controversy, I suppose, that surrounds the the magazine. It's not that lots and lots of stuff is written about it, um, but the the fact that Setkin was so insistent on this line 
uh, of, of kind of you know marching set, marching together with the bourgeois women's movement it demanded but organizational separation theoretical clarity no concessions etc no concessions to the revisionists etc etc that she came in for a lot of flack but not just from the right but often obviously from the right um described as dogmatic dictatorial in their editorial ways um, and depending on you know who you read, uh, you get a, a, a range of opinions on her. Of course, was Clara Setkin loved? Uh, was the, was what uh, uh, Maria Yuhachask uh, in, in a 1950s kind of uh, um, life sketch of her, which was, for all its criticisms, was quite sympathetic to Setkin in its own ways. But as I say, you cannot remove Setkin is so central to the Gleisha that she can't really the fate of that magazine cannot be removed uh, or separated from her own fate. Uh, and you know, as, as I've written before on, on Setkin, very few figures in in the German women's movement, for example, are treated so differently as Setkin. So your you, dogmatic anti-feminist, communist, feminist without borders, red feminist, uh, you know, the, the most dangerous witch of the Kaiserreich, I think Ka uh, Kaiser Wilhelm once called her. Um, so you know, she's many things to many people. Mehring, I think, speaks for the you know the the majority of what we would call revolutionary social democracy when he says that the volumes of Die Gleichheit are an eternal monument to Clara Zetkin throughout its history the publication stood on the heights of the principle of socialism with few people alive today being able to compete with Zetkin's knowledge of Marxist theory so again you go back to um, uh, J.P. Nettles uh, the, the, you know understanding of Zetkin kind of just being this second-rate thinker who just went and did you know, women's things or whatever, uh, very dismissive uh, that of, of, of her that he was. And um, I think partly because Die Gleichheit has received such little scholarly attention or political attention, particularly in English, uh, you know, we don't realise just how uh, uh, influential, how important Tzedkin uh, 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 was and, and remains today. Um, okay, significant dates, evolution of the uh, uh, of the publication. I'm slightly conscious of time, so I will move, we'll move uh, through a little bit quicker. Um, 1904, new child protection law in the Reich. That might seem secondary, but it's significant because, as a result of this, the uh, the, the, the the social democratic women's movement dis, uh, decides to use the Gleichheit as a way of coordinate coordinating political work amongst uh, children. Um, so Zetkin describes this, this law as a social reformist dog's dinner, um, and the social democratic women's movement agree to establish commissions for the protection of children. Now that that gives it a rather kind of narrow approach, but basically some of the works that that, that, that would involve would be, you know, going out, organizing uh, uh, um, kids on the weekends or afternoons with no school, taking them out into nature, organizing sports events, trying to bring in uh, uh, their, their, particularly their mothers, but you know, families generally, particularly their mothers, into the show, social democratic women's movement, uh, you know, in order to save, uh, as, as I think Tedkin puts it, you know, the, the save large numbers of children from physical decay, as well as intellectual and moral barbarization. Um, and yeah, these these commissions would go and, and work with families and, and and help them out. And it, it took on it, it sounds like a kind of niche thing, but it took took on huge uh, uh, um, uh, proportions. And you know, the, you get stories of uh, you know fifty thousand uh, uh, school kids being organised in a in a summer camp in Frankfurt. Uh, them organising all sorts of games and events and uh, chocolate being supplied by the local. Uh, um, 
uh, consumer cooperative treats for the kids, etc. And you know, really kind of interesting stuff that, you know, as, as somebody who's been looking at social democracy now for probably nigh on 20 years, things that just were not, uh, uh, that I was not particularly aware of. Um, and so that was a conscious decision by the party, by uh, Ted Keen and others, and uh, by the Social Democratic Women's Movement uh, to really step up the, 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 the work there. And in 1905, we see that two supplements uh, to the Die Gleichheit, so the, the main bi-weekly theoretical it would have within its pages, for our mothers and housewives, okay, from today's perspective, the title doesn't seem particularly well chosen, but we'll go with that for now, and for our children. And really, as, as far as I can tell, certainly when it comes to children, um, these are the first and one of the, certainly one of the few such supplements in the history of, of, of the movement and, and of, of, you know, it, huge enduring interest. I know the British Workers' Movement does things with kind of um, uh, socialist Sunday schools, etc., but I don't think it was really on on this uh, scale. And the supplements are we'll have a brief uh, uh, look at them in a second, but uh, you know, fascinating. I'm just starting to, as I say, just starting to get to grips with them. Um, 1914 is obviously a, a significant date for a number of reasons, but the uh, the production it becomes uh, of the paper becomes incredibly difficult, shortages, and then of course censorship. Um, and as I've alluded to before, Tsetkin uses the magazine as a, as a rallying cry, really, of the left internationally, uh, bringing together uh, the Bern Conference of Social Democratic Women, for example, in 1915, using very much the as kind of the launch pad for that. I should have said, this, by the way, so, no, I did say that about how it was the, the, uh, um, the international, uh, um, the, 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 the publication of the international women's movement at the time, Social Democratic Women's Movement. And then, um, yeah, all the struggles with the census that she had, which we'd have to change every sentence, but then eventually just left the marks of the censor in for the reader to guess what was being uh, what was being excised. Um, removed as editor, but replaced by Juhach and Heinrich Schulz, both of whom we've just briefly discussed. Um, but her her involvement in the USPD provides the uh, uh, the immediate pretext for that move, and she's turned out uh, uh, pretty much overnight. The new Gleichheit, different focus and shift towards more individual and liberation and empowerment of women, which is which is interesting. This is uh, working from uh, a PhD a dissertation by um, Miriam Zaxer, which is in German, but very much worthwhile reading for those of you who can read German. Uh, and she makes the point that, that there's a there's this huge shift. Obviously, my project is looking up at, up into the point where Tetkin is removed. Uh, so more of a focus on that, but Zaxa uh, is very good at comparing and contrasting the two. And she says that while terms like class struggle and socialism still feature, they do so far less. Um, and in 1923, the publication is wound up again. So the, 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 the specter of financial problems with, with these publications, uh, but obviously in Germany in the, in 23, things are, things are terrible. And I think it's at one, Zaxa points out that uh, one issue uh, uh, costs around 40,000 marks at one point, which is just incredible from 10, 10 pfennig uh, for, for the publication. I've got uh, um, The Sorrows of Young Werther, picture by a uh, uh, famous uh, uh, work by Goethe. Uh, you'll hopefully see why in a second. Central themes and features of the, uh, of the magazine. So I'm talking here up until 1917. They vary and shift across the years, but the main things are the editorials. We talked about uh, uh, those already. Um, 
often con controversies within the party. So Ted King would use often in the run up to a party congress and subsequently use it as a way of trying to impose her agenda and her the, the, the agenda of her comrades against the revisionists, for example, uh, in these pages and making it uh, uh, clear to women how important it was for them to uh, stand for election for these congresses, to put motions forward, etc. Uh, so that's been useful to look at. And then themes, militarism, colonialism, the right to vote and lady suffrage, which is what she, uh, uh, how she dismissed the bourgeois women's movement that wanted the vote for women, but only certain women, a revision and reformism. Um, the women's workers movement, I alluded to this earlier on, but this was a regular feature, of, of, of a networking feature uh, of, of, of the paper, particularly useful before 1908 when it was basically illegal for women to join political organizations in most states. <clears throat> and you would also then as I get detailed information, quite useful for historians as well to look back, oh, in October, there was this Congress, in, Oct in this state, there was this, this uh, international Congress. And obviously you would also have uh, detailed reports of the women's international Congresses, which began in the early 1900s. Um, News in brief, so again, just a, a, a selection, again, usually Setkin selecting various things from around the world that would shed light on, on what's going on in the, in the social democratic women's movement or in social democracy. So something would happen in America uh, with, with the, 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 the struggle for women's suffrage, whatever there, and she'd, ah, and this is why you see, we need uh, an independent uh, uh, women's movement that's based on the uh, on the workers movement, etc. Things like that, but also kind of weird things and new inventions that were happening around the world that she would then comment on, etc. So quite interesting. Um, historical pieces, very strong, as I said before, very strong historical theoretical focus, which is which is significant, I think. Um, uh, Setkin, but Dunker and some some others wrote uh, lead articles, usually serialized as well. So um, one of the most famous pieces, that, uh, early pieces by Tsetkin is a, a series on, on uh, female communards, which was eventually developed into a brochure, uh, but I think it was maybe, I don't know, six or seven pieces uh, in, uh, in a series in, in Die Gleichheit. Um, advertising, worth mentioning, we talked about funds on, on a number of occasions, but um, you would Setkin would allow, I think it was 20 Fennish per line, she would allow uh, public uh, um, advertising to, uh, uh, from the workers movement. So she would say, look, if it's important meetings, publications, etc., we'll advertise it, but we won't go to businesses, we won't go to, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of capitalist world in that sense. Um, that was the main focus of it, and again, relatively cheap. Um, but as Zaxa points out, in 1917, the new Gleichheit changes uh, considerably. So you've got all sorts of uh, um, uh, weird and wonderful things being advertised to women in 1917: diet pills, wigs, uh, fashion, etc. And Zaxa points out that you know actually, what's revealing about this is that a lot of these items were very much beyond the reach uh, you know, of the average woman worker at the time. And she argues that maybe the Gleichheit at this point has become more a uh, a publication of the so-called new woman i won't go into that in the in weimar germany but also very much the um the, the publication of the the wives or uh, of political functionaries in the early weimar government or the functionaries themselves for that matter uh, cultural pieces this brings us back to goethe and, and Werther. uh poems novellas short stories often serialized so again you'd have to pick up the next edition to find out what was going on the first such short story was 
uh, by none other than Nina Kautsky, Kautsky's uh, um, playwright and actor mother, um, which again was spread out. I think it was called Christmas. It was spread out about six uh, uh, six different uh, editions of the Die Gleichheit. Um, obviously on probably on Kautsky's suggestion, or oh, I've got this lying around. Would you like to use that? Um, and that, but it would. It, what some people have pointed out here is a criticism of Setkin. There would be a lot of people like Goethe, uh, um, Schiller, Shakespeare, etc., uh, which for some writers, well, it's problematic because A, they're men, was mainly men, and B, you know, they're, they're mainly from the kind of pantheon of bourgeois uh, high culture. And that's a source of, of criticism of, of Setkin, including by some uh, some of her friends, but such as Rosa Luxemburg, but maybe we won't go into that now. Um, there is in the top right is a that's actually not a a, a proper edition of it, but that's the the four our uh, our children supplement. That will be there was such demand for these things that every year they would produce an annual of all the uh, the, the supplements from that year in a in a red book with gold lettering. But that is actually a GDR edition. It's not a uh, an original one, uh, but it would look something like that, I assume. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, these the supplements looking at, uh, you know, for, for our housewives, for our mothers, for our children, you can see why in many ways they're ahead of their time, the demands they were making on education, for secular education, for nationally based education, etc. Far ahead of the time, of the time, perhaps in, in also in, in, some, in some ways in terms of, uh, you know, you look at this um, description of uh, Setkins of the new magazine. She says that now with these supplements, it would not only be a faithful advisor to the woman seeking to take part in a, a classic struggle for liberation, i.e. the very founding idea of the Gleichheit that I outlined, but also assist in her, quote, all-rounded development and the better fulfillment of her duties as a housewife and mother. Um, and for our mothers and housewives would indeed have things like tips for the household, advice on how to stay healthy, look after the sick, uh, it would contain fashion advice, uh, of sorts, uh, although not linked to capitalist enterprises, uh, and the 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 most popular uh, column, which was mainly written by Schultz and uh, Dunker, was called "The Mother as Educator of Her Children." Again, lots of interesting materials there. Uh, here is again, time is running short, but we can have a, a brief uh, look at these. Um, so, so again, we just to take a step back from this, you see the language of the supplements is quite different, is markedly different, in fact, from the Setkin editorials about, you know, the nature of colonialism in model capitalism or the significance of Bernstein in the development of Marxist theory, whatever. These were uh, a very much more of an agitational uh, um, nature, I suppose. And in that sense, I think do have to be seen as a concession of that Tedkin makes to some of her critics that would say, look, we go to, the, to some of these women and they say, yeah, we're happy to support, we like your cause, but I can't understand a word of it like that, right? Uh, and again, for some reason, for, for good reasons in some sense, as I say, given the state of uh, education, et cetera, in the, the Kaiserreich of the time. Um, but yeah, different, different approach, different uh, um, uh, emphasis, I suppose, but you've got to remember it was a supplement, so it was still part of that Kind of broader package that I've outlined about, you know, uh, schooling uh, uh, radical women, radicalizing women in in Marxist political theory. So here's some advice to look after your kids. This is this is free uh, <laughs> for those of you uh, who've got kids, or you know how you should have looked after your kids, maybe. But keep your word, be friendly to your children, become their friend, control yourself, be prepared to help, use your time wisely, decorate your house, look for the beautiful in things, don't be a chatterbox, avoid alcohol. And don't raise little hurrah patriots, very uh, uh, relevant, of course, given 
Britain in the past few weeks. Uh, maybe one more we cut time for. Honour the pioneers of our struggle. Don't put up with any showing off. Insist on good manners. Don't give long sermons. Maybe one, one piece of advice I should have taken. You shouldn't volley coddle your kids. Go on walks with them. Familiarise your children with overcoming obstacles. Tell your children, kids the truth about sexual matters. Raise your children to be independent thinkers. Speak to your children. So very uh, kind of uh, micro uh, of, uh, flavor impression of what the sub some of these supplements would uh, contain, and I've talked about the, uh, uh, the the kind of contrast with the the, the rest of the paper here. Uh, but Setkin, for example, described them as not speaking their language that is above the hearts and minds of the proletarian readers, but that captures them in their daily hardship, needs, and desires, and simultaneously raises them above their dull day-to-day -day existence. They are, as it were, a piece of ped pedagogical visual instruction written in undemanding and unpretentious language that is appropriate to the readership to which they are mainly uh, addressed. And it has to be said that the, the children's supplement, which we, we haven't got time to go in for today, that may be for a future um, discussion, um, they were so popular that <clears throat> party congresses actually saw many motions um, demanding that other you know, the 95 other uh, party newspapers would include such a uh, uh, such supplements because they were really popular with kids um, and have largely been forgotten with one exception which we'll look at at the end in terms of the, the GDR uh, very significant to the GDR these 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 uh, uh, pedagogical materials for, for kids um, and but yeah I've talked about the the Christmas annual uh, of the, the our children uh, for our children supplement. This is uh, Heinrich Schultz. So again, I talked about how he worked with Setkin closely on questions of socialist pedagogy. Uh, initially, he was always kind of more sympathetic to the right, I suppose, but they were able to work together and did some good work. So in 1904, they say that freeing primary schools from the unworthy position they occupy today as the handmaid of the ruling classes in the church can only be the working class by means of the class struggle. So very much uh, uh, relevant, ahead of its time, pioneering, whatever you'd like to say. Um, but there was a, a theoretical difference, a theoretical clash between them, even in the early days, so long before the kind of uh, uh, support for the war, etc. Um, and Schultz was of the view that kind of an explicitly socialist education was neither possible nor desirable within capitalist society because politics and struggle would, as he put it, disrupt the golden naivety and unspoiled years of youth. So this idea, I suppose, which, you know, is still prevalent, still has some purchase and still perhaps uh, uh, common sense in some ways that you know the, uh, the the best years of one's life should be should be kind of spent and in, in, in this um, in more of a bubble I suppose of, of exploration and kind of a detachment from the world and Setkin uh, you know I'm not quite sure exactly where I stand in this discussion but Setkin was clear that um, what what the, 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 there is there are a number of false uh, uh, presuppositions here and what what this required. What she thought was required was breaking with these kind of misunderstood concepts of freedom, spontaneity, uh, according to which you know parents shouldn't impinge too much or uh, impose too much on their kids. Um, but on the other hand, she said that you know it shouldn't be a question of kind of tangentious political slogans being rote learnt and then parroted uh, by the kids either. So interesting discussion again. It, I, I don't think is has been uh, mentioned or, or commented on certainly for a long time. Uh, but she does say <clears throat> that socialist parents and mothers in particular, so she's appealing to mothers in this speech, she says, if you do your bit in this regard, i.e. raising kids as socialists, and you become uh, active for the socialist education of our children in a useful fashion, you will help our socialist trained mothers raising their children to become, become class fighters. So this is an appeal to the party as well, um, to, for, for the importance of ped pedagogical work. 
They will then become soldiers, not of the reaction, but of revolution, freedom and cultural progress. I spoke uh, earlier briefly about Schultz and how he became uh, a state secretary for education. He developed in 1921 the National Education Bill. And what's interesting about that, Setkin was a member of parliament at the time in the Reichstag, and she absolutely hammers him for this because she argues that, uh, well, quite correctly, that two or three of the main pillars of socialist pedagogy, the ideas, the guidelines that they had outlined, particularly on secularism and a nationally coordinated education program, remember Germany is very federal to this day, um, uh, that, that both of those pledges were broken and reneged upon um, by, by the SPD. And she locates it uh, um, in the uh, kind of alliance in the so-called Weimar coalition between the liberals, the SPD and the Catholic center. And um, she argues that the, the SPD is essentially uh, backpedaled on secular education, made secular ed education something that parents themselves had to apply for rather than the norm. So she uh, said this is like, you know, asking children to be educated in cages, basically, um, it, secular, secular cages. Traces that back to a, a deal with the Catholic Centre Party over votes to ratify the Treaty of Versailles. But interesting to see where these two uh, people go, because again, it reflects uh, social democracy more broadly. Um, another key thing, I might not spend too much time on, on this, it's just a, a, a long quote by Tsetkin at a conference um, about the significance of the youth in, in the SPD, so not just education in the family and in schools, but the, the, the active organization of, of, of young uh, socialists in particular. And um, 1908 is a, is a significant date here as well, because it's a time in which a new law is passed that forbids uh, young people, I think under 16, but it could be 18, I can't remember which one, uh, forbids them from taking part in political activity. And you, we all know heard of Karl Liebknecht, uh, who was basically the leader of the of the young uh, movement? He actually goes to jail for that pamphlet that he wrote there, Militarism and Anti-Militarism, which I'm sure many of you have, would have uh, read. It's in English, um, and he's here the, the subtitle is you know with with a particular focus on the international youth movement. So Setkin kind of takes up the uh, 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 takes up the battle for uh, Leibnitz and defends many of his ideas at SPD congresses, etc. And while many in the SPD uh, Education Commission, which Setkin also sat on, responded to this law by saying, well, we just need kind of um, uh, educational associations for the youth, we need to draw them into the party school. Setkin, Setkin argued, look, we have experience not only of being banned as a party in the socialist laws, but also banned as women uh, from being uh, uh, from taking part in, in political activity. We need to draw on that tradition uh, that revolutionary tradition not give in to uh, um, the dictates of the of, of the Kaiser state. Almost done, uh, controversy and criticism and then reception, sorry for dragging on slightly. Um, we've talked about the uh, uh, the role of tech in dictatorial or dogmatic, so many of her opponents on the right would say, you know, um, uh, she was dictatorial, dogmatic, they would also mention, oh, look, nobody, especially in the early days in, in the revisionist controversy, look, nobody reads the Gleichheit, it's meant to these women, none of them understand it, it's a waste of time, blah, 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 how dare you criticise our main publication for being, <laughs> for its politics, when look at your own publication, and she makes the point, well, even if, even if the Gleichheit was the worst publication on the planet, I would still have the, the right and the duty, she says, to criticise reformism. Um, Age-old questions uh, of, of women's 
women's brackets party organization autonomy and centralization especially after 1908 so again just very briefly without dragging this on too long uh, after 1908 it's then uh, uh, legally across the reich for women to join uh, um uh, political organizations which mean that means that their role in the party becomes a more uh, normal or standard or traditional one whereas in the past you would have women's proper command propaganda commissions that had a little bit more autonomy in the way that they they acted because they needed to they would have trusted representatives that they would turn to etc and that kind of uh, uh, question of how then these would be reintegrated reabsorbed into the party um was was clearly a, a bone of contention and i've even read feminists uh, writers on setkin saying yeah basically the party then just did the job of what the police used to do which is obviously a, a huge exaggeration but it's clearly uh, uh, was a was a, a a cause for for, for controversy um Setkin is, is criticized also for, again, so, and often under the freedom of criticism refrain, and we know where that comes from in terms of Lenin, Kautsky, the revisionist uh, contra controversy, etc. But um, there were no letters, there wasn't a letters page, it was very difficult sometimes to see, you know, how would people respond. But on the other hand, it should be said that Setkin would uh, publish articles critical of her, even those from the right, but often she would have the, the last word then in, in, in kind of fighting back. Uh, and what's interesting as well is that she even printed 1914 printed statements from pro-party organizations of, uh, sorry, pro-war party organizations of women, uh, uh, which is which is interesting, and then respond, of course. Um, accessibility, we've talked about that and the concession in 1905. The abundance of male writers, particularly in the cultural section, we've talked about that. The proponents of bourgeois culture in its pages and the traditional understanding of a genius addressing a largely passive audience. I think Goethe, I think Schiller, I think Shakespeare. Um, but for Setkin, Setkin was very much of the idea, and she was criticized by this for Luxembourg. Setkin said that just as Engels thinks that the proletariat will be the heir of classical philosophy, so uh, will the proletariat be the, uh, the, the heir, the inheritor uh, of, of, of classical art and culture. And the, 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 the questions, questions of art and culture and aesthetics were ones that, you know, uh, was central to Setkin throughout her life. Famously, she wrote the pamphlet Art and the Proletariat in 1910, I think 1911, which is still to be translated, but it did lead to a, a discussion, uh, a, a friendly one uh, in 1908, uh, when it came to the education of the youth between her and Luxembourg. Luxembourg arguing that basically it's not about taking something over, it's about creating something qualitatively new. But for Tsetkin, clearly the emphasis was on, okay, if we want to make uh, a good socialists, if we want to give these women a rounded view, that means starting with the greatest that the bourgeoisie has achieved. And I think in that sense of that kind of tragic, I think it's in John Reed, that tragic image of peasants being so cold in Russia that they're burning copies of uh, Goethe and et cetera. So that's, that's a debate that you know maybe is of interest, maybe not. Um, but I would say this is that the much of the reception of this kind of focus on bourgeois culture is that it's kind of tied up with this very complicated uh, standard, if you like, reception of Western reception of the SPD as kind of radical in appearance, but bourgeois in essence. That's also worth bearing in mind. Um, I've talked about the, the, the fact that very little has been written on the Gleichheit, and I'm, I'm sure that many, I hope many of you here are hearing this stuff for the first time and your, your ears are pricked, as it were. Um, uh, we, Anne gave a talk on Lisa Vogel, and I just went back, I haven't read that book for years, but I went back and just had a look at the what she talks about in the Second International. And really, I, maybe comrades can correct me, but it's just a few pages on this. And, you know, given 
the centrality, the significance, the sheer output of this magazine. This is 25 years under Tsetkin, fortnightly <laughs> publication, 10 pages, tiny writing. Uh, it's clear that, you know, uh, those those such as Fogel, you know, are overlooking something central because they dismiss this this history as reformist, waste of time, etc. They're missing something uh, uh, central uh, in the Eastern Bloc, however. And again, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, we see, we kind of have an opposite picture, what I call detailed dogmatism. So actually, Eastern scholarship uh, is, is is incredibly detailed and useful. So a lot of the stuff you'll read uh, is, is detailed and interesting. And I've been flicking through it. Obviously, it's then always filtered back through the main kind of foundation myths of the GDR, etc. Um, particularly, you know, we have to be slightly concerned when you see that they're using Setkin as a kind of stamp of approval for the a Marxist theory of education uh, within the GDR. The party is always right. And as I said uh, to somebody the other day, Setkin's career essentially is is what is living proof of the fact that the party is almost never right. Um, and uh, so that, that's interesting. But the GDR scholarship, there is there is quite a lot written on that. And I would argue, and I won't to make too much of a, a thing of this now, I would argue maybe some of the more conservative features or of their time features that I kind of alluded to are then taken and kind of solidified as the answer. So questions of the abolition of the family. Uh, they quite rightly, you know, the GDR historians make the point that well, Karl Marx and, uh, and Engels in the Communist Manifesto, they're against the, they say, we're, you know, we're, we're not for the abolition of the family. Um, but then it's a distinction in German between Abschaffung, like getting rid of something, and Aufhebung, which you know, may know from your, your Hegel, which is, you know, something uh, taking on higher social forms and kind of negating itself, but raising itself to a new and higher form, uh, which the GDR scholars don't really countenance. Um, we, we've also seen, for example, uh, uncommented censorship and excision of critical comments that Setkin made on the Russian Revolution, obviously. Uh, and I do think that in the GDR, she was held up as this person who, uh, for those women who were struggling with like the trip, what's called the triple burden of work, family and politics. And I think there's a kind of cynical instrument instrumentalization of Setkin as saying, well, look, if she could do it, this you know, incredibly uh, uh, rare, unique, brilliant person, as, as, some, as Luxembourg, I think, once said, when does Clara ever sleep? Um, then you can do it, too. And, you know, that's, there's obviously a cynical side. Uh, to that. But I would just end again, sorry for going on for so long. There's clearly um, a vacuum here. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, excited about going forward with this publication, taking a, a deeper dive into it, because it's clearly one of the uh, most significant publications in two sense in our history, in two senses. One, as a, as a mouthpiece of uh, radical social democracy and Marxism, but also as a, as a, as a mouthpiece of uh, uh, radical social democracy and Marxism. Uh, and the women's movement, which is uh, which is clearly uh, um, uh, relevant and important today. But I will stop there. Thank you very much.